The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm Dave Hennessy. Today's guest is Katie Kolakowski, the Chief People Officer at Bright Cove. Bright Cove is a global video platform company that uses video for internal communications in unique ways. In fact, Katie talks about how they drink their own champagne at Bright Cove by using these tools inside her group. And next up on the podcast is Susan Mealy, the head of HR at Foundation Medicine. And now, our discussion with Katie Kolakowski. Katie, it's great to be here at Bright Cove for the podcast with you. Thank you. It's so nice to join the esteemed Hennessy Report. <laughs> oh, thank you for throwing that in. <laughs> well, let's talk about you first. As you look back on your career, is there a point where you say, oh, that was kind of something I look back on as an inflection point or something that kind of got me going in the direction that I am today? In my mid-20s, I was working in San Francisco uh, at the beginning of the dot-com boom. And I was working for a company that offered to send me on a short-term assignment to Brussels. And the catch was that they had to backfill my role. So I was going to be out of a job for a temporary assignment that sounded like a pretty cool opportunity. The market was pretty booming at the time, and companies were growing at every expense, as we sort of learned. We learned after the fact. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so I jumped at it, and it was a short-term assignment that became a longer-term assignment. It was my first international assignment, which later gave me empathy for people in new locations and gave me a, other cultures yeah, and, a, right a, a really sort of persistent thirst for working within global environments interesting yeah that's cool why don't you tell us a little bit about bright cove sure what you do here because yeah. so, i think it's an interesting technology that i don't think i could articulate completely so yeah. it's good to have you here thank you so bright cove is a video technology company uh, we are an online video player for the purposes of media companies, marketing companies, and the enterprise. So if you can think of a way that video is used online, we were likely there at the beginning and we are likely a provider of that enablement of the platform. Can you give us an example, of, a specific sure. example of how it's applied, say at a, at a company or in their marketing or Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So when we were when we were founded almost 15 years ago, um, it was with the view that video wouldn't be over cable lines any longer. It was going to come over the internet. And sure enough, here today, if you go to buy a car, let's say you're buying a Ford and you want to go see what they look like before you go and actually go to a dealer and test drive it, you're going to go to Ford's website, you're going to see a bunch of videos that'll show you the interior of the car, what the driving experience is like, etc. We could very likely be providing the platform that that, that, that is company is using to, right. to right same as if you are watching your favorite series um, and you want to stream it let's say you're watching something like game of thrones and and you watch it on demand and you pause it etc that might be enabled by our technology okay um, and similarly if you work at a at a large company and you let's say have a training library of videos about how to uh, training for your products etc for your employees um, we could be the video platform that is delivering all of those videos to your people. And is there consulting with it too? Is it just is it technology? What it, what is it that's provided? Is it 
how sure. to produce these things? Is it no, just no. the it's so, the it's the way to create these streaming video? So it's the actual platform that the video platform. sits on, right? Okay. Exactly. So it's the, the player. It's kind of the so YouTube, when you hit the go, YouTube Netflix of your is that am I saying the wrong exactly. thing? Is no, this no, kind that's of, right. Yeah. Of sort the corporate of, world for business, exactly. Okay. It's, exactly. Okay. So the the founders had some great foresight about yeah. the way technology was absolutely coming and growing. Absolutely. And what's the what's the latest? What's the latest news at Bright Cove that you can share? What's going on here? Sure. So very. Very recently, we acquired the online video player for one of our longtime competitors, Uyala. Um, with that came about 100 people, many of them in Guadalajara. So we have a new site that we've set up in Guadalajara, Mexico, and in incredible group of people. Tapping into your global cravings. Yeah, right? Exactly, exactly. We're already pretty global. We're in Singapore, Tokyo, Sydney, London, um, you name it. We're, we're across the globe, but uh, it's great to have a new office in a new location where we hadn't had previously a strong Latin America presence. Uh, and so we're just continuing to grow in all the exciting ways. When I joined this company yeah. five years ago, I yeah. really thought, okay, video online is about 15 years old. The market is probably ripe for consolidation, and so there's probably going to be, you know, companies starting to come together, merge, be acquired, etc. Um, so to finally acquire a significant portion of a company that we had been competing against in the market is a huge win. That's great. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Well, let's talk about HR. Of course, you know this is an HR and people strategy podcast, and you have the title, Chief People Officer. Can you talk a little bit about Bright Cove's culture? And maybe one way to ask that question is, what's important to you about the way people work here? Or what's important to the people about the way everyone works? Yeah, that's great. So our company has been through a lot of change in the last year. A little over a year ago, we received a new CEO. We've rebuilt most of the C-suite in the last year. Uh, And so I think when you're coming through tremendous change, as we are as a company, your culture, sort of the pillars of your culture, the values by which you're um, operating the company become even more important. So we're actually doing a lot of work on this right now and doing some listening uh, and some reflection on what it is that we care. I would say we have a long-standing tendency to describe ourselves as smart and nice and people who get things done. We're starting to to hear from our people that what they really value about that and what they're proud about in terms of behaviors and culture at Bright Cove uh, is that we are problem solvers. Mm-hmm. We are inquisitive, we are incredibly smart and innovative, and we are thought leaders in the market. And so with all of that, it's sort of wrapped in this package of an incredible drive to do the right thing for our customers and to help our customers do business better. Mm, that's interesting. I, I like that there's, there's words that I haven't heard before, problem solving. Mm. You know, it's great when people talk about their culture and their values, and it's not something that we've heard all different other places. Right? Yeah. It's like, because if people can grab onto it. Can you talk a little bit about the process, this listening that you're doing? What's the approach that you have to do this type of intervention, if you will? We recognize that with all this change, it's a good time to refresh our values. We have some values, um, but when you're changing this much as a company, it's it's a good inflection point to say, well, is this still how we operate? Is this still what we care about the most? Um, do we want to hire to these values, et cetera? And so we've done a tour of corporate listening. So I'm actually just recently back from visiting our London and our Singapore offices, and I had the opportunity there to really capture some responses from people about which of our values resonate the most with them, mm. which do not resonate any longer, or if there's a behavior within the organization um, that 
they think we are embodying now, even if it's not a named value. And so some of that happened at the pub in London, and some of it <laughs> happened at a customer conference in Asia. Right. Uh, it just and, doesn't happen in rooms like this, Exactly, right? exactly. And the rest of our leadership team did the same listening journey. And so we asked them to reach out to some of their highest potential people and ask the same types of questions about it. And so we're actually getting ready to go off-site this week in a couple days and look at it as a leadership team. And that won't be the end of it. We'll then sort of take uh, that synthesized information and listening that we've Done, we will marry it with some brand work that we're doing because that's equally important mm-hmm. listening to our customers and what they perceive to be a value about us and then we'll take it back to our people and pressure test it and wow. come out with a finished product. Well this is exciting. <laughs> Any early surprises or learnings that you can share with us to give us a little preview? What are you hearing that was hmm I didn't expect that or that's a little different or that reinforces everything I've believed. When our CEO arrived here a little over a year ago, we started to do some uh, leadership offsites. And one of the concepts that we started to use frequently and come back to in reference was the notion of one team, which was probably a bit aspirational at the beginning of the conversation because we were reorganizing significant portions of the company. We were bringing in new leaders. So doing all of those things is a bit counterintuitive in terms of being one team. But I think that it was one that we began to really embody and reference frequently. And so even One team is a leadership team? Is it a whole organization? It's a whole organization, whole organization but really also really sort of embraced by the leadership team first. Mm-hmm. And so even though it's not technically one of our corporate values at the moment and we haven't put it on a wall anywhere Mm. we began to reference it really frequently in our recognition systems etc people just started hashtagging one team and so it's actually one of our most frequently referenced values that isn't technically a value as of today until Mm. we go through this refresh that's interesting yeah you know patty mccord was on our podcast a few episodes ago and she uh, talked about how the role of management and hr and leadership is not to control people but to build great teams And I was just wondering what your thoughts are on that concept in general, because it sounds like it it resonates here. Absolutely. So for me, one of the pillars of building great teams is having a team that trusts one another. Um, We've done a lot of work with this across our leadership team, and the leaders have taken that work and in most cases cascaded it to their teams that they work with as well. Trust just being a huge factor to be able to get things done. We operate under a frequently referenced saying that a strong team can weather any storm. And so we believe that that a healthy team starts with trust. And so today we're in a pretty high trust environment, which is great. We've invested a lot of time building that amongst our leaders and uh, I'm really happy with where we sit today. Right, that's great, congratulations. Thank you. What's something related to people strategy or HR that you had a strong belief and that you've changed your mind about it? Something important that you've changed your approach on or beliefs on over time? This is a good question. It's a hard question because I'm actually, this is sort of fresh in the last 24 hours. I have, I think, operated a large part of my career, but especially the part of my career in which I'm working for a public company, operating under a strong belief that the work we do is for our shareholders, right? That we need to drive shareholder return, that our ultimate bosses are not the CEO or the board, but our shareholders, um, and creating value for them. And last night I was watching a show about a GM plant closure, uh, and they were challenging this notion of shareholders being sort of the penultimate goal that you're working towards. And it was about the shift in our economy really needing to reconstruct that that idea 
that companies also work for the people because the people have invested an incredible amount in the companies, right? And so we think about shareholders investing in a company because they have paid money for a share and they want to see a return on that. Mm. Um, but this was challenging that idea to be more balanced in the employees, considering the people, the people yeah, yeah the considering people the employees yeah. who have given their eight, 10, 12 hours a day, who have sacrificed times with their family, who right, have for done eight, all those 10, things. 12 years, right. Exactly, for many years. Right. Um, and what it means to be accountable to that investment as well, and how uh, you reconcile those two investments. And so I guess, um, I, I still believe that I work for the shareholders, don't right. get me wrong, that's very important for a public company. Right. But how do you make sure that you are considering both sides of that, that spectrum? Ultimately, when you're working for a for-profit public company, your performance metrics are very measurable and they're externally reported. And so... And they happen quarterly. Whether private, whether public, whether small, whether large, figuring out how you make your people a strategic differentiator for yourself in the marketplace is important. And taking that approach and applying it to a quarterly cadence or public company reporting perspective is an added layer of complexity, but still just as important. So I'd say that's the river that runs through it, if mm. you will, but you need to make sure that you have pre-measurable results that are good in the market. Right. Now you are not only a practitioner, I, th I think of you as somebody that's a real student of this work, this HR people culture work. What, do you, what excites you about the function? Because I think there's a lot to be excited about in the last several years about what your role and what's happening. It's a good question. I grew up in a family of people who have a strong sense of social efficacy. My parents are social workers, a couple of my brothers are doctors. I do believe that if we do our jobs well, we make people feel more fulfilled in their work in addition to being able to pay their mortgages or their rent or put food on the table, et cetera. Like those are sort of the hierarchy of needs, right? Right, right. If we're doing our job well, we're addressing every aspect of the hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. And people who are generally fulfilled and happy and engaged at work probably go home feeling good about how they just spent their eight, 10, 12 hours. And hopefully there's a trickle effect that impacts all the people in their lives, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I had to tell my family, <laughs> social workers and doctors to justify my existence and how I spend my time. No, but but it's I actually true. do believe it. I, I, I believe and I it think too. that what I've seen in the last 10 years of my career is that the strategic relevance of that work, as especially if you are fortunate enough to work within the tech sector or with any company that has knowledge workers, your people, or your primary asset, That's right. which is true, like more true now than it has ever been, right? And continues to be truer and truer. Right. It's as all time goes there's on. less and less things yes. that are important, right? Exactly. Most people, a lot of companies don't even own their own space. It's just they don't ship any goods. It's yeah. all streaming, like you, yeah. like the products that you. Yeah. So sell. that value of making a compelling workforce for people, in which they feel good about the work they're doing or they have the room to be innovative or they feel like they saw how they made a direct impact on the business or whatever it is that drives them mm. has become superlatively important and just keeps getting even more important <clears throat> every year. One of our uh, common friends, uh, you know, Stefania Millette, mm -hmm. who's the founder CEO of EasyCater, and she talked about, and other podcast guests have talked about this in different ways, is finding ways to let people and help people be their whole selves. Yes at work and life. Yeah. And uh, I know you believe that just based on what you said. What kinds of things do you do here at Bright Cove to help people do that? Or what are the things you take away or get out of the way, the obstacles? So I think if we asked our people, the answer I get most frequency is incredible flexibility to be able to 
be a working parent or to have a social life, etc. Because we can all work anywhere, anytime, right? And especially when, even though we're not a huge company, we are a very global company. And so the expectation of defaulting to video hangouts for a meeting, etc., uh, is just so ubiquitously embraced across the business that it does make it easy, even if you're based here in Boston where our headquarters are, to be able to effectively work from anywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'd say that sort of flexibility piece has been a good differentiator for us. Right. Having flexibility working mm-hmm. remotely. Yeah. It seems like a lot of companies are trying to do more of that. Certainly yeah. you do that. What's the right balance? Because there is something about people being in the same room together. Absolutely. Or those bumping into somebody and it triggers a thought or the ideas that you have when you're actually physically with people. So how do you what's the, what's the right balance? For breakover, yeah. what's your in general? What do you believe? So right I think balance? it depends a lot on the function and the way a team works together. Mm. Um, you know, if somebody is truly an individual contributor and doesn't have as much of a pervasive need for collaboration in order to get their job done, then the answer probably airs on the side of more remote. My team needs to collaborate a lot. We ask for a really close partnership between the recruiters and the HR business partners so that they're sharing information and knowledge. And so within my team, most people who do work from home only work from home one day a week. But we also have people in remote locations now. So, you know, being effective at getting everybody together to do that often defaults to video. So you kind of like that one day a week thing, or if, if, it, can, if it can work. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I mean, I think just being thoughtful about it in terms of deciding, you know, whether that's the same day for everybody or whether it's spread out really depends on your operational workflows. Right. What are some other strategic initiatives you are working on with regard to to people, HR? So we actually have a cross-functional steering committee. We call it our people initiative. We have global (laughs) representation, cross-functional representation, a mix of seniority and a mix of tenure on this team. And some of the issues that we have worked on as a team. You're on the team too. I am. I'm the one throat to choke, so to speak. But but some of the most incredible work that's come out of it has been from people who aren't even directly in HR. So we have done a refresh of how we onboard people uh, in the past year. We have taken a new approach to how we deliver continual feedback uh, in the last year. We are right now in the midst of focusing on internal communications because it's something that every company can probably always try to get better at, and we are no exception to that rule. So we've done a lot to change how we internally communicate to one another so here, there's, but there's more there's to do. So people at all different levels and all different functions helping you with people People work. People work. Yeah, exactly. Helping your department with initiatives mm-hmm. on how you do things. Exactly. And we start pretty blue sky. We're like, what? how good are we at giving feedback right now? Okay, so we think we're this good. What does success look like? How can we, like right. blue sky, what would we like it to I be I immediately, like? when you talked about it's the nice culture, yeah. I was immediately thinking. I imagine this may be a little bit conflict-resistant culture. Yeah. That, it may lean wet. Lean I, think that we're, way. I think we have changed that a lot okay, in the so course of the last of year. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because and that's some of the listening we're doing right now is, you know, nice is great, but does nice make money? I don't know. Right. Does nice deliver the hard news? I'm not so sure. Right. So we're challenging it right now internally. And, and what kinds of, of things are you doing? I'm so I'm, I think this is a fascinating area of HR and management, yeah. really. Yeah. And a lot of people are wrestling with what's what's coming out of this. What are you, what kinds of things are you implementing? A continuous coaching and guidance and feedback. 
we've asked our leaders to just embrace this in their daily lives. Mm -hmm. And I think they have really made a commitment across the broader leadership team of having what we call the courageous conversation. Mm -hmm. The one that's hard, the one that you're sort of like putting off and the one that you're like, oh, I'll save that one for Friday. We're just, we're committed and we've committed to each other. We've committed to ourselves. We're just going to have it in the moment because we have that sense of urgency and we Mm -hmm. need to do it in order to get where we're trying to go in the Mm -hmm. next year. We've done a lot of training around how to do that effectively for our people, for Mm -hmm. our line managers, for people who that might be a newer concept for. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've created um, sort of three distinct functions within the organization that are all focused around developing our people. So there is now a center of excellence for learning and development within the HR team. We've created a similar function that's dedicated to our sales team and our sales methodology. And then finally, we've done one for our customers uh, that's all about how we onboard customers and how to get really up to speed on being a video expert if you're a new customer. Mm -hmm. We've taken those three people and we call them a triumvirate of development resources and they've teamed together even though they sit in three different pieces of the business and they're teaming together really effectively to share the assets that they're individually creating so that we have the biggest return on it across that whole spectrum of users. Uh, That's great. Yeah. Well, you know that we do deliver this podcast, Keystone, with uh, NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association, and NERA has a young professionals group within it, and we have the NERA YP, NERA Young Professionals, question of the podcast, and we have our very own Keystone's Megan Mandino here to ask that question of you. What advice would you give to young professionals to feel comfortable and confident in dealing with the very different types of personalities that you get in the different teams that you're a part of? I love this question. I am a true believer in surrounding yourself with people who are different from you in order to challenge you and in order to augment your shortcomings or to highlight your strengths. So for myself, I work in technology because I am not the most technological person, but I so appreciate the way the brains work of people who are technology innovators. I have a tremendous amount of respect for that, and I'm able to augment them with the skills that I bring to the table. And so I would say recognizing the strength and the power that comes from differences is a really good way to challenge yourself, get out of that, in a really sort of tactical and approachable advice sort of way, I would say encourage yourself to do things that aren't those which you would immediately gravitate towards normally. So if you are not a go to the pub type of person, challenge yourself to go to a beer tasting. Or if you are not a you know, tough mutter, do something along that line and get yourself out of your comfort zone. Because I think that that's when we grow and stretch the most is when we do things that are a bit atypical for ourselves. And that often opens a ton of doors for you. To your point that you just made, it sounds like you'll probably embrace technology in the HR field, right? Do you use technology to help your function? Absolutely. So we like to drink our own champagne here at Bright Cove. And so anyone who's joining my team, I ask them to go through product training, just like anyone would if they were joining the product team. Uh, And so that they know how to use our online video player and upload a video and our own internet with all of our video assets is built on our platform and uses our product on a regular basis. And so we've also been really thoughtful about using video a lot more effectively to communicate, whether it's for the trainings that we deliver or I mentioned our recent acquisition. We used video really effectively, I think, to welcome the new people to our company. 
our videographer had a, we're lucky enough to have an in-house video <laughs> team, being a video company. Since you're in the business. Exactly. <laughs> had a great idea, and he asked me to collaborate with him on it, where we were very silly and very tongue-in-cheek and talking about who we were as a company. And we made a video that we rolled out week one when we welcomed you know 100 new people to the company. And the feedback from the people who were watching it for the first time, they said, oh, we were so relieved because it wasn't a uptight video saying, welcome to Bright Cove, here's the rules, et cetera. Exactly. We were silly. We laughed at ourselves. Real people. Yes, yeah. exactly. And they said, oh, we were just so relieved. It made us think this is a company I would have chosen to, uh, to wow. come to. And that, for us, was really the first time that I got to see the power of video and its capacity to move people. Uh, and so, you know, that was built on our technology, but it's also sort of the underlying premise of everything we do here is that video is an incredibly powerful way to bring your stories to the eyes of the world. And that's exactly what we did. If you could write a letter of advice to yourself, professional advice to Katie of 25 years or 30 years old, what would you write? I think I did a fair amount of risk taking in my youth. And I think that that was a differentiator for me early in my career. So that's some advice to others. So yeah. that's some advice to others. But even though I felt like I took most of the risks that were presented to me, I would advise myself to take even more risks and to push myself even further out of my comfort zone. Hmm. Uh, and so... So at the time you thought, I'm taking a lot of risks. Absolutely. But you thought even more so. Even more so. Can you, how can you make that real for somebody that might be listening? Like, what were you willing to do back then? What would you think you could have even done more of, for example? Yeah. Can you think of something like, that was risky, I should have even taken this further leap? Yeah, so I had given notice at a company, and they asked me to stay on for a few more months, and I did. I sort of put everything back on hold, and, mm. and I did it. And I asked for a bunch of opportunities in return for that commitment. Mm. And in hindsight, I should have asked for even more. Like, ah. Honestly, I think that, um, and they asked me to do it again at the end of like that three month assignment. And maybe I should have said, you know what? Let's just go all the way with this. Let's see where it can go. Um, but instead, I think I did make the right choice in that instance. But I would say that anytime I did take a risk, another risk would be when they sent me to Belgium to work internationally for a short time. Mm. And when it was done, I said, okay, great. I got some international experience. I'll go back to the States now, et cetera. Maybe I should have gone to another country. Maybe uh, I should have gone to Asia. Uh, Maybe I should have pushed that, like taken that thread right. even further. So I, I see. think that's a good you know, example. Take the yeah. risk halfway through, but what about the next That's half? right. Right. That's cool. Yeah. That's a really the good art of example. the possible. What's a book that changed your life? That's a heavy question. But I'm a big fan of some of the female comedy greats like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler wrote a book called Yes, Please, and uh, one of those sort She's of... She's a local person. I know, She's right? Yeah, She's awesome. Time. She's awesome. One of the core premises in the book was about using the sort of key tenet of improvisational theaters to always be building on what somebody has thrown out to you. So if you're in an improvisational setting with someone and they take it really like to a crazy place, you don't reject that idea. You say, yes, we're walking on Saturn and, <laughs> and I have two heads. So you build <laughs> on it. And so the, the, the concept is called yes and, where you are accepting whatever is put in front of you and improving upon it in some way. Instead of like yeah. saying, no, we're not on Saturn. We're actually in Georgia. This uh, I have a funny idea. We're going to go to my place on this idea instead. But I think that that power of improv can be really creative in a business setting as have well. Have you been involved in improv in your life? I have, actually. Yeah, what a good question in a few ways. So 
my parents had an improvisational theater troupe when I was a kid, and they would pull us out of school. They used it for social emotional learning. This was before they became social workers. They were still in school to be social workers. And um, we would go act out sketches in front of other schools. Your instead whole family? Of being school. Our whole family would do this. Wow. Yeah. And, and I don't think there can be any more risk-taking than no, that. I can't exactly. think of anything that exactly. would be more fearful to most people listening right yeah. now. Yeah, so five-year-old me was always put into a position of being in front of a whole assembly of other kids and being asked to improv on family dysfunction or school problems wow. or what have you. So What an education yeah. that you had from such an early age. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, I actually worked with a local group to use improv for our leadership team to develop sort of a, an off-site activity for them. Mm-hmm. And half of our leaders at the time, as we were going into it, they were like, Katie, this is going to suck. I can't, <laughs> I can't believe you're making me go do improv. I don't even like most of these people. Whatever it is. Like every excuse in the book. I said, listen, let's just go do it. Let's see how it is. Right. Without fail, I think there were 40 participants at the time. Every single person who participated came back and said, that was incredibly fun. I actually learned a lot about people I didn't know about. Uh, I learned a little bit about myself. That exceeded my expectations, and it was it was a great time, and so it was a good it was a good reminder that that premise of building upon the work of others and not rejecting any idea that comes to the table as being too crazy can be pretty powerful in That's a corporate right. setting. And I actually right. serve on a board now too for a nonprofit that uses improv to teach social emotional learning in the schools. Wow! Yeah, right from your five year old yeah. childhood all exactly. the way. Exactly, it's it called today. Rehearsal for Life. Urban mm-hmm. Improv. If anyone is feeling really generous, they yeah. can go and donate to a really great cause. We work with Boston Public Schools. Rehearsal for Life. It's a based, yep. it's a local organization. Based here, local organization, um, a couple decades old, and they have a troop of actor educators that go into the schools and work with kids to talk about really tough social issues, and mm. they use improv to do it. So they'll pull the kids into the scene. Mm. I was sold on it when I went to watch a workshop, and I saw these kids having incredibly insightful and mature and thoughtful responses about tough social-emotional issues mm. that, that they deal with, like discrimination or socioeconomic issues, et cetera. Mm. And it was just incredible how they used yeah, the it's arts kind of and a, theater to yeah. address what, it. What are some of the benefits of doing it in an improv setting? How can people take it and use it? Well, I think that anytime you're sort of in a situation in which you're having to rely on improv, it gets you in a different mindset, right, mm. in which you are maybe a little bit stressed out and it taps into a different part of your brain. And so mm. I think if you end up listening to whatever came out during that there's the power of collaborating with others because nobody goes and does improv alone right right? you do improv with others and so that whole power of a group dynamic and learning from each other and playing off of each other is incredibly powerful in any life setting Mm. but then there's also that sort of like you just go to a different mental place i think when you are being asked to perform in an unscripted way Mm. that's great katie it's great to have you as a guest always a pleasure thank you so much Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.